Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for being here. We thank you that you are um, the one true God, the God that we serve. We thank you that you have um, claimed us for your own. And so be with us, God, um, for this session, for all the sessions. Bless um, Pastor Vaughn and his session, Diane speaking right now too. Um, and bless me, God, that um, your words um, would be the ones that I speak now. And I pray that um, we would have um, ears to hear um, and um, hearts to receive whatever you have for us, God. We love you so much. Amen. All right. Um, Paul talks about the belt of truth. You guys know what book that is? Ephesians, Ephesians right. Chapter 6. Don't turn there. Um, but there's also the belt of fatherhood. Have you seen that? <laughs> All right, that's, that belt just seems to kind of work its way up over the years. And I don't know if there's some secret to that or what, but uh, it just seems to work its way up. Um, anyone who has been married for a while starts to realize that the picture of marriage is a little different um, after you get married than what you thought it was before you got married. And you learn a whole lot about the opposite sex as you learn about things from your wife's perspective, right? Um, and God has given us um, a great helpmate to help us along, to compliment us, to sharpen us, to challenge us, to help us grow. And we are to, um, to be gracious um, as we interact with them and as we love them. Um, here was kind of what I felt like was my, one of my awakenings, was kind of some aha moments that we can see um, with this gentleman all right, have you ever been in that situation where you've made the mistake of trying to inquire too much information or trying to clarify or basically foot in the mouth, right? Yes, um, still happens to me. And so as we are trying to um, nurture our wives, we are trying to understand um, who they are um, as God's special creation, as our helpmates, um, as our wives. So I want to start in Matthew 7, um, if you will turn there. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And I'm talking about the church at home, but the title of my um, sermon, so to speak, um, is Giving Good Gifts. Giving Good Gifts. Giving Good Gifts to our wives. Giving Good Gifts to our children. First, I want to talk about the aroma of the house, the spiritual room. Have you ever walked into a house and they're baking stuff or whatever and you smell cookies, you smell bread, right? Nice smelling. Have you ever walked into a house where maybe they have one too many animals um, and you smell that, right? <laughs> Here's the thing about the aroma of a house. When you talk about the spiritual aroma of the house is that a lot of times those people that have maybe one too many animals I was actually visiting my old next-door neighbor um, uh, just a couple days ago, and um, I mean, she's got like six cats, okay? 
and that's because five of them have died. <laughs> um, so she had multiple, multiple, multiple cats, and I have allergies. So like, I used to walk in there and just, it, I would just blow up. I couldn't hardly be in there for a little bit without being able to breathe. But when you are in your own house, you usually don't catch whatever the aroma is of the house, right? She probably doesn't smell cats when she walks into her house. Here's the thing that's challenging for us. The same is true when it comes to the spiritual aroma of our house. Because we have a spiritual aroma that our house has. Have you ever been to a house where you walk in and it just is very warm and inviting and you feel like, hey, these people want me here. It's very hospitable, it's very friendly, and you feel very welcome there. But then maybe you've walked into a house where it's been, you walk in and it feels like it's cold or something's not right there. It's very uninviting. You're not even sure, even though they invited you to the house, that they really want you there. Okay? So there's an aroma to the house. We, as men, help to set that aroma. We are the key people as the heads of our house that set that aroma in the house. And so when we leave in the morning, we are leaving. We should help set a good aroma for the rest of the day. And when we come home at night, we need to, sometimes we have to reset the aroma, right? I mean, you ever walk in, it's like, man, it's like a war zone, okay? And all sorts of craziness is broken loose, and you're like, man, I just left for eight hours, come on. Uh, and you walk back in, and we have to. We need to reset the aroma. Sometimes we walk in, and the aroma's going great, but because we've had a bad day, we actually end up affecting the aroma negatively. And we bring it down. But as leaders of our house, we need to have the aroma where Christ wants us to have it. It needs to be sweet. It needs to be pleasing. It should be something that draws people. Because here's the thing. That is the aroma that our kids are constantly in and that our wives are constantly in. That's the aroma that they're in. Um, it's, it's amazing. All of us have probably had this, uh, where that aroma is what they will consider normal as they grow up. And probably around the age of 15, in their teen years, they're going to slowly start to realize that their normal might not be other people's normal. And so, you know, they'll say to one of their friends, your, your family eats dinner together? And then their friend will say back, your family doesn't eat dinner together? Right? And so, like, these um, <clears throat> little light bulbs start going off. Your family talks at the dinner table? And then the, your family doesn't talk at the dinner table? So they start to realize that there's different aromas if you will, and they start to realize that maybe some of their aromas aren't so normal. Now, sometimes that can be good, and sometimes that can be bad. But they'll start to see the other person as abnormal, and they'll think that theirs is the normal. And then you start to realize, as you grow in the Lord, that maybe some of the normals of your house maybe weren't the best normals. The challenge for us as men is that we are very inclined to just take what was given to us and continue that pattern. And so we have to be willing to break patterns of some of those abnormalities that were passed on to us. And that can be very challenging to do, but we have to be willing to do that because we want a spiritually sweet aroma in our house. 
that does not just happen with you kissing your wife on the way to work and then coming home and saying a short prayer every day at the dinner table. It takes much, much, much effort. I remember when my daughter Trinity was very young, probably about two, and she had some type of infection in her lungs. And so they had to do like um, these nebulizer treatments where she has like the little mask and she has to breathe that stuff in. And even though the, the treatments itself weren't painful, um, they were very scary for her, you know, as a two-year-old having this little mask put over you. And so I literally had to sit her on my lap and, you know, with one arm, keep both her arms down and with the other, you know, keep the mask on her face for the 10 minutes that it took, you know, however many times a day we had to do that, three or four times a day, right? Kicking and screaming the whole time. And I just remember, because she was so sick and weak, it was like, even though she hated it, she finally just got to the point where there was just like this moan, you know? She's just like, oh, you know, because she just hated the treatments, but she had ran out of energy to even, to even continue um, to fight me. But every time at the beginning, kicking and screaming, I feel like that's a picture of fatherhood sometimes, okay? We know what's best, but to get there, there's going to be some kicking and screaming, a lot of resistance. And we as dads and we as husbands, we have to be willing to do things that aren't always pleasant in the short term. They're not always pleasant in the short term. And ultimately, we are called to please God, not our wives, not our children. And many times, we can be deceived to think if our wives are happy and our children are happy, then, then God is happy or pleased. But that is, that is incorrect. Because we can do many things that can keep our, our children happy that are not for their benefit, that do not help them spiritually. Same with our wives. We can do many things that do not benefit them, but can keep them happy. So we have to keep, as first and foremost, that we have to do what pleases the Lord, regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. I had my Bible um, out at the doctor's office, actually just yesterday. And this um, lady said to me, um, best book ever. And so she was um, an, an older lady, and so I started talking. I said, how long have you been saved? And she said, 48 years. She looked like she was in her you know, late 60s, maybe early 70s. I was impressed, right? I mean, she had persevered. Here she was, and she saw my Bible, started this conversation. But then she said this. She said, I'm reading through the Bible again. It'll be my third time. 48 years saved. And this is only the third time she's reading through her Bible. I did some quick math. That's only four verses a day that that lady has read on average. Not four chapters. Four verses that she's just taken of God's word over her life. We need to be men of the word. All right? Uh, I hope when, I, when I've been saved for 48 years, should I make it that long, that that number is, is at least 10 times that lady's number, if not 20 times that, if not more. Because we need to be men of the word. And, you know, before we pat ourselves on the back uh, for reading more than four verses a day, um, I would challenge you to track your prayer and your Bible reading for a month. All right, I, I have a little Excel sheet. For me, it's just a self-discipline thing, um, just to see how I'm doing. 
Um, and part of the reason is, is because I know that when I don't track it, I always think I'm doing better than I really am. It's just the truth. It's the truth for her, for many things in our life, our, our giving and, and all sorts of things. So I just use a little Excel sheet to track how many chapters I read, how much time I've prayed. It's not legalistic because I'm not holding you guys to it, and it's just a, it's just a self-discipline thing to help, help me see where I'm at and what my progress is. And sometimes there's some zeros, and sometimes there's a lot of zeros. But I would encourage you to do that because... Um, a lot of times you can think that you're doing pretty good and you're making your way through the Word. And you're like, man, why does it take me, you know, three months to get through the book of Luke? Well, because you're, you're only reading every four days, right? <clears throat> so I would encourage you and challenge you to try doing that for one month track, how much you read and how much you pray. Because it might kind of, it, it kind of opened up my eyes when I started doing it. Hey, man, I need to get in the Word more because I'm, apparently I'm not getting in the Word more. What picture do we want our kids to have when they think about us and when they think about the home. Because there's a story, I've told it before, but this kid draws this picture of his dad. He brings it up. And he's like, here, Dad, I drew this, I drew this picture of you. I drew this picture of you. He's all excited. And the dad's like, oh, yeah, great, thank you. What, like, uh, what am I doing? And he's like, oh, that's you sitting in front of the TV like you always do. That was the kid's picture, Right? The mental picture of his dad sitting in front of the TV like you always do. I mean, I don't want my kids, if they draw a picture and that's their mental picture, I don't want it to be that. You know, I want it to be something completely else. What pictures do you want your children to have? At what age? All ages. (laughs) What's that? It'll be different. It, It will be different. But um, their image of you might start to already be set, right? Right? Yeah. And so, here's the thing. Our most important job is not from 9 to 5. All right, it starts at 5. That's our most important job. And many, 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 many times I have to remind myself of that. When I'm rounding the corner to my house and I'm pulling into my driveway, I have to remind myself that my most important job is just now beginning. And sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't have the energy. Sometimes I've had a really bad day. It doesn't matter. Okay. One, because Christ can take me through whatever I need to to shepherd my family properly. He can do that. Okay. I've seen him do it in my own life. In the midst of the bad days... He is still sufficient. He can, he can walk me into that house and still have me be gracious, even if I've been bombarded with all sorts of stuff that entire day. But our most important job begins in. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 of chapter 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, what's the idea there? We're continually speaking to our children about God. We're continually talking to them. Look, my um, kids, and I think your kids too, they love hearing about your life. They really do. And recently I was driving around with um, Trinity and she was just like 
tell me some story, Dad, that, that you've never told me before. I was like, well, I've probably told you them all, but I'll just, I'll just change this one a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she wanted, to, she wanted to know, and she's like, tell me the, the scariest time you've ever had, or, or tell me the most fun time you've ever She wanted to get to know me a little bit, right? She wants to hear from me. Um, we need to use those opportunities because our kids love to hear stories. They love to hear stories. We need to use those opportunities to, to shepherd them. And so when you guys get opportunities to share at work, or when you guys get an opportunity to make the right decision, when you could have made a bad decision or an unethical decision at work, your kids should hear about that. They need to see that you're making decisions and you're doing things to please the Lord. They need, you know, hopefully the Lord is like a part of your life 100% of the time. But they're only getting you for that slice in the morning and then that slice in the evening. So they don't see what happens for the eight, ten hours in between. So you have to fill that gap in for them. And they need to hear about those, 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 even your struggles, those challenges that you've had. The coworker that's a jerk. The boss that's a jerk. They need to see how you are dealing with that. Okay? Otherwise, they just, you know, they don't know what's going on. But I, I believe that most kids, they want to hear about your day. They really do. I understand we have a hard enough time telling our wives about our day, all right? So then to do that with our kids, I'm not talking 15 or 20 minutes, just short snippets at the dinner table is the time to take advantage of those times. Because really what you're doing is you're enacting the Deuteronomy 6 passage. You're talking about what God's doing in your life. You're using that as opportunities, all right? Recently, you know, we, I sat down with my kids and we went over at the end of 2015. I, I, I just sat them down and I was like, hey, I just want you guys to see some of the different, like, organizations that we supported um, with our money this past year because we want to see God working in these different organizations. And so I just sat down with them and just talked about the different organizations that we support and why we support those organizations, you know, because I want them to kind of participate in giving and tithing with us. How do I do that? How do I train them in the area of finances? I just felt like that was one way, you know. So I talked about the different people we're supporting, the different organizations, compassion and things like that. I talked about liberty, how we're tithing here. Because I want them to have a heart for that as well. They're not going to, they can catch some stuff, but we need to teach it, okay. we got to teach it and talk about it if we want them to catch it. Some stuff they're going to just naturally pick up. Unfortunately, it's usually the bad stuff. All right? Our weaknesses, they can pick up without us ever teaching them. A lot of times our strengths, we have to talk about and speak into their lives with. Ephesians 5, look there. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay? Sometimes that's where we stop. We need to read on. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Look, when we focus on this section, the focus for us needs to be on the part that speaks to us. Not speaks to us as in makes us feel good, but the part where Paul is addressing us. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. That's the focus. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church 
to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, catch that? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look, if Jesus is the groom, and he is, and we are the bride, and we are, and he treats us in the same way that he wants us to treat our wife, then what does that say to everyone when we don't treat her right? It's, it's hypocrisy, really. It says we don't care much about Christ in the church, really. I mean, we might say we do, um, but it's showing people that we don't. Simply put, are you treating your wife like Christ treats you? That's the question. Okay. Is the mercy never-ending? Is the love never-ending? Is the grace never-ending? Because it should be. Or is there bickering and backbiting and fighting and yelling and name-calling? And we want our wives to follow our lead... Um, but how are we doing following Christ's lead? Because it's kind of hard to, tell, to expect them to follow us when, when we can't even follow him. Listen, there is no place for lying to our wives, for deception, for trickery, for anything like that. And I heard of, of something a few weeks ago about a guy on a regular basis lying to his wife. And that is just, simply put, shameful. Because he is saying, that's how Christ treats him. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's living out. And there's no place for hurtful words, for demeaning words, for talking down to her, for looking down. You know, many books I've read on counseling and different things um, have suggested that verbal abuse can be just as damaging as physical abuse. So you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not hitting her at least. Oh, well, congratulations. <clears throat> um, you don't have to. Okay. Um, sticks and stones, yeah, well, it w- really isn't true. Um, words hurt and they cut. So let me encourage you, be the head that Christ is to you. Be the head that Christ is to you. And listen, Christ deals with issues in his church. That's why we have church discipline. He deals with issues in his church. That's why church discipline is one of the marks of a true church. Why? Because Christ deals with issues, or sin, if you like, in his own home, so to speak, in his church. And we, as men have to be willing to deal with whatever issues are going on in our house. Whatever issues. Some of those issues might be our own issues. You have to deal with them. Some of them might be your wife's issues. Guess what? If they're your wife's issues, they're your issues. Okay? If your kids have issues, those are your issues. You have to deal with them. Okay. Listen, we uh, moan and complain sometimes about the government and all its inability to do anything, even though it has definitely the money to do it and probably the power. Thank you, Jake. And then we have the ability to fix problems in our own home, and we don't do it. 
But we, we complain and moan about the government and its lack of inefficiency or lack of efficiency and its lack of ability. But in our very own home, our little tiny government, so to speak, we don't take care of stuff. You are the authority. You don't have to earn it. It's kind of scary. But you don't have to earn it. It is given to you. Um, It says, you are the head. Now, you will be, you could be, you might be, you should be. You are the head. And the question is not whether you are the head. The question is, what kind of head will you be? Will you be a good head? Will you be a bad head? That is the question. But you have the authority in your home to deal with issues. Um, If you are not able to deal with them fully, get help. Be a real man and ask for help. Solicit help from your brothers in Christ. Solicit help from your spiritual authorities. A couple more things. I want to encourage us with two things. One, I want to encourage us with um, emotions. One, our kids need to see our emotions. They need to see them. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. I don't do a good job at that. But here's what I mean when I say that. They need to not just see the angry, the upset, the mad ones, because that's the ones that probably for, for most of us can easily come through. If the biggest reactions that our kids see from us is when sin occurs, that, that's probably not a good thing. Now, a reaction is good, maybe even an angry, upset, or mad one. But if the biggest reactions occur when sin occurs, that's probably setting more of a negative aroma in the home. Okay? Um, how are you doing with affirming your kids? Our child, your child gets a good grade, and you, know, you, you, barely, you barely nod. They bring you, your little kid brings you um, some picture, and you're like, you know, oh, that's nice. Your older kid um, speaks of some accomplishment they've really worked hard at, and you just kind of blow it off a little bit. And those are opportunities to affirm them. They need affirmation. They need affirmation. That should be the thing that comes out of your mouth every single day. Affirmation, 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 affirmation. Now, I know in our culture, you know, there's this overemphasis on self-esteem and don't hurt the kid and things like that. I don't think most of us in this room will make that mistake because we're aware of it and we want to make sure we don't make that mistake. But what happens is, is we can swing to the other side and then we don't affirm at all. Okay, because we're afraid of, of puffing them up past that. Look, I coach um, one of my son's basketball teams, okay, so I can tell you all the things that they do wrong on the court, okay? But every time they run off the court, because I'm subbing them out, you know, I'm, I'm giving them, um, slapping their hand, and I'm telling them a good job, okay? Even if I don't always think they did the best job. Um, now, do I jump on their case? Yeah, okay, two nights ago, middle of the game, called a timeout, and, and chewed into them pretty good because I was not happy. <laughs> but that little chew-out is in the context of the larger context of me continually affirming them, telling them how good they are, telling them how I appreciate their effort, telling them how they're giving me everything they got, and, and it's awesome, right? So the larger context allows that smaller context to not become the larger context. So here's the thing. Um, Each of us has an inner voice, right? We have an inner voice, and that inner voice is either a positive voice, a negative voice, 
or, or it could be somewhat neutral. And this kind of blew me away when I started to kind of fully realize this. Because you all realize you have a voice, but as you start to contemplate, man, what is that, that voice that's speaking in my head, my subconscious, so to speak, that's always talking to me, it, what is it saying? Is it saying, yeah, you can do this. You're about to do this, and you're going to do great at this presentation, or, man, you're going to blow this, or why are you such a loser, or, man, you're the best player. I mean, what is that voice saying? We have an inner voice. And it blew me away when years ago I realized that actually people, every person has like a different inner voice. And some are the positive, and some are like overly positive, right? You ever watch American Idol, and the person thinks like they're some amazing, awesome singer, and they can't, can't even sing a lick, Right? They got that overly positive voice. <laughs> a little too positive. <clears throat> but then you, you see someone do, uh, give an amazing presentation or, or amazing piece of uh, work of art or something, and you compliment them. Oh, you know, and they kind of, there's like this self-deprecation, right? They kind of um, are negative about it, even when they do great. Well, our kids have an inner voice. And, and it's actually in the stage, if they're younger... It's in the stage of development. And guess who helps set the positive or the negative? The dads. The dads. The moms play a part, but I believe that the dad's role in this aspect is bigger. Okay? Um, there's a reason that every man longs for his father's approval. There's a reason for that. And even daughters, too. They want the affirmation. They don't really seek it from the moms. They seek it from the dads. Listen, we hold a whole lot of power in our hand, so to speak. And we need, we need to give that good gift out. Okay? You want... Any, if any of you struggle, and some of you do, with a negative voice... You don't want that for your kids. You don't want that. You don't want that. Mine probably leans a little bit negative. Now, probably a lot negative. I have to fight against that. I don't want that for my kids. So what can I do to help their voice to be biblically positive? It's going to be me that helps set that needle. It really is. It's going to be me. That's what I believe. I believe we play a big role and a crucial role. And the struggles that they have will in part be because I failed to train them in certain areas. Or they picked up my negative training just naturally. So I implore you to let the tone... There's, there's kind of the, the, the gospel versus the law. And the Lutherans do a great job of bringing this out. Gospel versus law, and just helping to discern in different passages, hey, what's the strong you know, flavor coming out in this passage? In the home, it should be overwhelmingly gospel. All right? Grace, grace, mercy, mercy, love, that should be what's flowing out of you constantly. Okay? Occasionally some law. Listen, I've heard how some of you have speak to your kids sometimes. I'm guilty of it too. But I hear from you guys sometimes, and it's not, it's not pleasing to the Lord. Because there's too much law going on. There's too much strictness. There's too much legalism. There's too much sternness. 
Okay? When you're in your prayer closet, when you're straining to hear the voice of the Lord, when you're in here in worship, here's my question. What is the tone of the voice of the Lord that you hear? What is the tone of the voice? All right? Is it kind of, oh my gosh, come on! Or is it, son, come on in? What kind of tone is that? It should be, right? It should be gentle, gracious, loving. Some of you might not hear that. Okay? But I'm telling you, it is a gracious and loving and kind tone that I think that many of you hear. That should be the tone that we want our kids to hear. Okay? Does God ever jump on my case? Yeah. All right? And I know it, right? I know when he's not happy with me. And and he's got many good reasons to be, right? And so I can hear that tone shift. But the overwhelming tone is a positive, gracious, loving, kind tone. Even when I mess up. Even when I do something stupid. That's the tone our kids need to hear. Let's pray. God, thank you for these men. Lord, help us all to be the biblical heads of our house, God. That we would um, love our wives like you love us. Help us love our kids like you love us. Help us, God. Um, We want to truly nurture them. We want them saved. We want them here, God, with hearts on fire for you. We ask that you would do that, God. Help us to see where we're falling short and that you would help us fix it, that you would adjust us. God, forgive us for the sharp words that we've spoken out of anger. Help us set a tone, Lord, of the tone that we hear from you. A loving and gracious tone that seeks goodness in them. Lord, we need you. Um, We need you big time in this area of being a husband, of being a father. Strengthen us, God, with your spirit to do this your way. For your glory, God. We want to see you, Lord, as ultimately the head of our house. The one that we look to as we are the head. We look to you, the ultimate head, for how to lead, how to guide, how to shepherd, how to love, how to minister. So we ask you would, you would do it, God. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Justice now. You guys get two for the price of one today. And, and he's going to deliver... Part two. That was good, Mike. I am going to speak, I guess, more to those who are currently fathers, but don't tune out if you feel like you don't have um, kids that are, I guess, in between the age of like, you know, four or five and through the teen years, um, because kids are a part of the church. And um, even if you don't have kids in that age range right now, like they're the up and coming generation. So you should pray for them and be aware of of what's going on. But I wanted to talk briefly to you um, today about what I believe is one of the biggest things facing your kids um, today. And some of you will have kids soon, hopefully. So I think one of those things is um, it's at least generally related to social media and electronic devices. 
okay? They've kind of taken over our world. So I'm going to break this into two parts. Um, the first part is about pornography. Um, there's lots of studies out there, lots of statistics. Any way you want to look at it, it's astounding, okay? I took kind of a middle one here, but 79% of men ages 18 to 30 view porn at least once a month and at least 60% multiple times a week. Um, women ages 18 to 30 are at 76% a month and um, 21% saying multiple times a week. Um, the average youth today is exposed to porn by 11, okay, 11 years old. Teen statistics are a little bit lower than that, but I kind of also think that's because it's a little harder to gather that information from them. Um, after working with teens for the past 10 years, I can tell you that my experience for teens is that those percentages are pretty pretty accurate to the ones I just read for 18 to 30-year-olds. I've talked to a lot of people who have struggled with this. I, I know somebody who was homeschooled, okay? The homeschool community is not sheltered from this, okay? Um, I talked to someone who was homeschooled and started struggling with it at eight years old, okay, all the way through college, okay? Eight years old all the way through college. I know someone else who was homeschooled, awesome family, but it was exposed at the age of five with a neighbor kid, okay, five years old, and struggled with it all the way through college, Okay, homeschool families. Okay, it's not like they're in public school. And their families never knew. Okay, they never knew. And one of the reasons today that it is such a problem, I think, is because it used to be, at least, I mean, I'm not that old. So I remember, I remember when there was dial-up internet, okay, and I, I barely remember before that. But it used to be a lot harder to get a hold of things than it is now, okay? It's easy Now, if you want to get a hold of porn, it's really easy. Um, I just want to fill you in on some things that you would probably find if if your kid has an electronic device of any kind. I just want to fill you in on some things that would probably appear on it. Um, So Instagram, okay? Has anyone heard of Instagram? You guys know Instagram. It's a picture app. Okay, almost every kid that has an electronic device has Instagram, I will tell you that Instagram is filled with pornography, okay? Um, They are filled with it. Technically, they have a policy against it now, but it's one of those things where they have millions of users uploading photos all the time, and they don't filter anything first. They have to get complaints to take something down. Instagram, which I just found out a couple of months ago, actually has a direct messaging. Almost all apps on your phone, whether it's um, a game or a photo app like that, have direct messaging on it. Um, I accidentally discovered it when a kid was like, hey, I sent you a message about IGY or whatever. I was like, I didn't get it. They're like, it was on Instagram. I didn't even know you could do that. Instagram also gives you full web access. Okay, some parents I know have like, you know, they kill the web browser. Um, it's really easy actually to get onto Google through Instagram. You just click a couple of places and you have full access to Google. Facebook, again, has a policy against pornography, but their definition of pornography is like, you know, completely and fully nude. Um, so you can find lots of stuff on Facebook that is very near porn. Also, your Facebook app on your device, with a couple of touches on the phone, you can get um, full access to Google through the Facebook app. Pinterest, again, is full of pornography. Um, Snapchat, which most youth use today, 
you can do messages and videos and pictures and stuff, and they delete <coughs> seconds after they're opened. Okay. Um, now, mostly this is used for funny stuff. The possibility exists with the possibilities that exist with the app are endless because your kids could be Snapchatting people and you have no idea like what they're receiving or what they're sending because it deletes. Okay. And a lot of kids think it just deletes, but it's actually pretty easy for people to take a snapshot too. So there's a lot of kids out there that especially girls will feel pressured to send pictures of themselves and, um, guys take a picture of it and then it ends up out there. Um, Twitter, it has direct messaging as well. Twitter has no policy against pornography. Okay, they allow it on there. And it's really easy to get on Google, have full web access, everything. Like Twitter, which is just like, you know, 140 character tweets or whatever, which seems harmless. You know, your kid has Twitter. Um, they can easily access stuff on there and you would have no idea. Okay, it's full of stuff. And Twitter, unless they decide to tweet something... Um, you would have no idea that they were on there accessing that stuff. Um, all Google apps, Google Plus, all those other Google apps, again, full access to everything. Um, I could go on and on and on about apps. I would recommend, if you are concerned about this, which you should be, um, go to iParent.tv. Okay, they give a breakdown. It's iParent.tv. They give a breakdown of all of the popular apps that are out there, what they can do, and what you need to be aware of. It's uh, iParent.tv. Apps that hide other apps. People are creating apps that will hide other apps. Um, and even innocent apps, like, you know, most people would think these, these apps are pretty common social media apps um, that if you looked at your phone and you're like, well, the web browser is disabled and they have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, well, they can access plenty of stuff through those three things. You need to know what's on your kids' devices, okay? Don't assume that your kids aren't struggling with it. You need to know what's on there. Two more things I want to say on the subject, because even though I'm saying you need to know, I think a lot of parents don't think their kid would be doing something like this. That's, that's I mean, most of the time when parents find out, they are shocked, okay? They're shocked. My kid would not be doing that, okay? Porn is incredibly addictive, Maybe their first time it wasn't intentional. Most kids that get exposed early, it's not intentional the first time. But studies and science have shown how addictive it is. It, it changes how your brain works, okay? It changes how your brain works. It's more addictive than a lot of illegal drugs, and it has the same, some of the same effects on the brain that drugs do. My understanding with people who are addicted to drugs is that, you know, they'll do almost anything to be able to get that fix, Right? Um, that's why people go and steal, and they, they spend a lot of money on it because they need that fix. They sneak, they steal, they lie. <laughs> if your kids have a problem with porn, um, don't think that they're not going to sneak around behind your back and lie about it, okay? We're talking about an addiction. Um, number two on this, my dad read a couple of passages to me in Proverbs when I was a teen, and they really stuck with me. And I think they're super important to keep in mind when it comes to this stuff we're talking about. In Proverbs 5, it talks about the adulterous woman. And in verses 7 and 8, it says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her, the adulteress. Do not go near the door of her house. Okay, do not go near the door of her house. And then chapter 7 in verses 1 through 10, it says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. 
Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw the simple. I saw among the simple. I noticed among them a young man, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street corner, street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Okay? So the idea here is just like not to go near the house. Keep a wide berth. Don't, don't put yourself in temptation's path. And so the thing here is, um, I just talked about several apps that give really, really easy access to porn. Okay? That in themselves are not bad apps. But we need to make sure that our kids are not in temptation's path. I'm not saying go take your kid's phone away or delete all these apps, but we need to be aware and make sure that we are not putting them in the path of temptation. Don't assume that it's not going to be a problem, okay? Um, it's far easier to access this stuff than when I was a kid, and it's, it's a lot easier to access this stuff than it was when y'all were kids, okay? Lauren Maloney has volunteered to help parents who are interested in working for a technology plan and stuff. Um, he knows a lot about this type of stuff. So we can talk more about that um, at the end. But iParent.tv, check it out. The web browser for phones that I recommend is called X3 Watch. X3 Watch. You can put restrictions on your phone and your devices. Apple has settings that will help you limit stuff, but you still need to be aware. And so I would just say be intentional and have conversations with your kids about this stuff. Okay, Don't assume that girls don't struggle in this area. This is... I, I don't look forward to like having this type of conversation with my daughter someday. But don't assume that your girls don't struggle in this area because many do. Um, I mentioned earlier a five-year-old who was exposed, you know, homeschool kid. That was a girl, okay? It's not just guys. These are girls, too. The stuff that's out there is bad. So that's the first part, just that while these things are useful and they do a lot, and we think sometimes of, that they're harmless um, in our kids' hands. They give very easy access to, to pornography. And kids are a lot better. Like, okay, I've grown up with this stuff, and I feel like I can handle my phone pretty well, and I know how to work it. Kids can pick up these things, and they learn them like that. And they, like, know their way around it. So if, they are, if they're addicted to something like that, they can definitely hide it from you, okay? So you need to have conversations. Second thing I want to talk to you about is just the effect that being plugged in 24-7 has on relationships. It's going to be a little bit shorter than the first part since I already talked about apps. But the relationship game has changed a lot with the development of social media and the internet and cell phones. When I was in high school, I liked girls, okay? Big surprise. I hung out with girls. I did ministry with them. Saw each other at church. You know, we had a good time, right? And that's mainly how I got to know them. Um, I think towards the end of my high school days, AIM, AOL Instant Messenger or whatever, was kind of a big thing. Um, So there was some online communication there if you're in front of a computer. But my parents had our computer, you know, out in the main area. But it's not like today where your kids have something like this, and they can constantly communicate with each other. And 
before dial-up internet and stuff for a lot of you. I'm guessing when you talk to girls, it was mostly in person, right? Yeah, maybe some phone calls, but maybe some of you even wrote letters. I don't know. Yes, okay. (laughs) Today, our youth get to know each other over these, okay? Over computers, over devices. That's how they get to know each other. I'm not saying that in itself is bad, although I do think face-to-face interaction is a lot better. But think about it. Most of our youth, at least they they want to be, connected to their devices 24-7. And if there's someone they want to talk to, they can talk to them all day long, every day of the week. Okay? If your kids can take their devices to their room or somewhere else, they can stay up chatting with people till 3 or 4 in the morning. It happens. It happens a lot. I hear whispers of it. I know kids do it, you know, like guys and girls are texting each other at three in the morning, like it happens. And there's no waiting to see and talk to someone at church. They've already spent like their whole week in communication and um, that grows attachment. And it also, it's just like almost impossible to limit who they talk to. Okay. On that, when I was growing up and moving on from high school and into college, I was cautioned by my parents as well as a lot of other wise people that late-night conversations usually end up going where they shouldn't, okay? Um, You're late, it's tired, it's late, you're tired, and emotions get aroused. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, with messaging apps and cell phones and all that, like I said, guys and girls can talk late into the night, and that, I believe, puts them in temptation's path, Okay, it puts them in temptation's path. It's not protecting them from that. You're talking about teenagers who are like going through hormone changes and, you know, experiencing all this crazy stuff. And then they have the ability to communicate like crazy uh, as that's happening with their love interest. And I don't think that's I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's good. I'm not a parent myself yet. Like I said, I know most of you would think your kids, like, they would never sext. They would never watch porn. They're not staying up late at night professing love to someone. They're not hiding, you know, devices from you. You know what? I've talked to, I've I've worked with a lot of people recently that found out that their kids had secret cell phones and iPods that they got from friends. Okay? It happens. It happens. It's real. Homeschool families. Okay? And outside of that, There's lots of other dating apps, messaging apps. You can rate people. You can be rated. You can ask questions anonymously. There's lots of stuff out there. But social media and devices, please hear me, the constant contact has just changed the way that relationships develop with our kids. It accelerates relationships earlier and faster. And um, a lot of times it's relationships with people that they've never even met. Okay? Haven't even met. So some closing exhortations for you. One, just be talking with your kids about these things, okay? It's not going to be comfortable. Talking to them about porn is not going to be comfortable. Relationships, the struggles they're facing, like it might feel awkward, but we need to do it, okay? You need to engage in those conversations, not in a judgmental way, okay? If your kids, if, if you go home and you like, you know, grab your kid's phone and and you come down hard on them, that they're not going to open up to you, okay? If they confess stuff to you, don't jump on them. Help them out of it, okay? Be loving and have intentional conversations as they're growing up 
um, about this stuff. Like I said earlier, those two examples of five-year-old and eight-year-old, their parents never knew, okay? Because who thinks that a five-year-old is going to be dealing with that or an eight-year-old, right? And it's not like it was something laying around in the house, okay? This stuff happens, unfortunately, today. Number two, know what your kids have on their devices, okay? As you have conversations with them, I encourage you to, if you're going to let them have devices, to let there be an understanding that you're going to have full access to their device, okay? Know who they're texting. Look at the apps, okay? Be aware of what's happening on your kids' devices. I encourage you not to rush home and take away all the stuff from your kids, They'll probably get upset with you and upset with me, (laughs) damage your relationship. But make sure if they're going to have it that you have safeguards in place and that you are being intentional and active in your relationship with them and in this area. Maybe you do need to delete some apps, okay? And if you find out that they are struggling, uh, maybe they don't need their device right now. Maybe you need to get rid of a bunch of stuff. But we need to be involved and aware in this area. Number three, I'd encourage you to pray about this, this kind of the second part regarding teenagers and their relationships via social media and devices. It's up to parents to decide when their kids can text, who they can text, at what age they can text boys and girls, all of those things. It's going to look different for every family. Maybe your kids don't need access to your, their phone after 9 or 10 at night. I don't know. But be involved in this area and be aware of what is happening um, with youth today, like this greatly accelerates how relationships develop. Okay, it does. And not only that, but as they are in constant contact, if they are dealing with porn, if you've got, you know, guys or girls dealing with that, and then they're having unsupervised constant contact late at night, those conversations are going to go to places that you really don't want it going. It is. So pray about what action you should take in that area. I encourage you. Fourthly, don't be discouraged if you feel inadequate or like you you don't understand some of this new technology. If you seek the Lord and you seek to do his will, um, he's going to help you figure it out. And one of the ways he works is through his church. Like I said earlier, Lauren Maloney, um, he knows a lot about this kind of stuff and is willing to help with a tech plan for families. I'm here to help as well. Talk to somebody if you don't like know what to do and get something set up for your family. And lastly, number five, if you're struggling with porn, please get help. You know what it's doing to your life, and it's going to do the same thing to your kids. Okay, It will destroy your family. It will destroy your kids. And you can't help them if you aren't getting help yourself. So that is all I have for you today. Um, I love your kids very much. I love um, youth, and it breaks my heart to see kids struggling with this, but it's real, and I think... One of the biggest things that can help is parents being aware and actively engaging in conversations with their kids. And those of you who don't have kids in that age range right now, maybe you have grandkids, maybe you don't have kids yet, there's kids in this church, I encourage you to pray for them, okay? The ease of access, and I didn't even go into like what the culture says about it and what the media says, it pushes on them. It is a tough battle for kids. We need to pray for them. Yes, Ryan. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close in prayer, and we can we can continue to talk more in a minute. We're gonna take a, a break. I think they're wrapping up down there. Um, but yeah, the the tech plan and and protecting against devices 
in my um, mind is making sure that they're not in temptation's path, okay? The other part is shepherding your child's heart and, like, having those the relationship and the conversations there because you can set all that up, but if your kid's heart is there, you're, you're not going to be able to, to block all of that out. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you... You walk uh, with us through these things, and um, you love us, and you love our children and our wives. And um, God, we ask that you would um, make us a pure people and a holy people, that um, God, you would give us wisdom with how to shepherd um, our families. Um, God, we just ask for freedom for um, everyone um, in our church and our youth especially that are um, caught up in this stuff, God. We ask that you would um, break them free and that you would um, show us how to be a part of that and to help. Um, God, we love you and uh, excited to um, hear what else you have to say this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.